gatedrop.com, AMA motocross ride and run review, and also Spanish MXGP review. Andy McKinstry, this was a busy weekend. Absolutely flat out, knackered at the end of it. So much going on, unbelievable. But yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, great to see the great outdoors in America get underway and the MXGP of Spain. Um, the MXGP season continuing. Really, really enjoyable. Enjoyed the racing in both, both championships. It was great. We'll start with America. That's where all the hype was coming into this, this Saturday, especially because of Antonio Crowley and Ryan Dungey. We'll get to them in a minute. But really, it was, it was Chase Sexton's day. 1-1, pair of fantastic motos, and he was battling with Ken Roxon, who for me was a, a really nice surprise. I wasn't sure how he would be, and I'm sure he wasn't quite sure how he would be. But first moto, Sexton passed him. The second moto, yes, Sexton passed and won again, but this time Roxon was went up a notch, and he pushed Sexton pretty much to the last couple of laps of the race. And the way he cheered on the podium, Ken Roxon, you could almost feel that he felt this was a relief in himself to know that, yes, I'm back. Yes, I can go the speed. And yes, I'm not going to have to retire now. Yeah, well, just as a general comment on AMA, we've got one round done and dusted. And I think there's more questions now after the first round than there is going into yes, it. Was we'll, a... touch, we'll touch on everything later, but yeah, just, weird. just to throw it out there, Will Saxon maintain this? Can Ken Roxon uh, physically and mentally be there for a whole season? Eli Tomac, very bizarre, almost like A1 all over again. Is Ron Dungey a title contender? Will Caroli stay and do the full championship? Who knows? But um, to, to start with the Hondas, like like uh, you alluded to there, yeah, Chase Saxon. I wouldn't say anyone's particularly surprised that I'm going 1-1. But uh, like, a, like I asked a minute ago, will he be able to maintain this for the rest of the season? Speed-wise, he's always got the speed. He maybe hasn't always had the consistency. And of course, uh, he struggled to stay injury-free for full championship. So his challenge is going to be try, try to maintain it, stay injury-free and try and win a championship, really, because he couldn't have started the season any better. And In my opinion, that was probably the best Des racing in his career so far, probably. Yeah, it was, I would say, emphatic. We've seen him with the style and the speed before, but he put everything together, both motos. Yes, as you touched on, there's a lot of questions about everyone else, and I think everyone else will improve, but they're, they're going to have to improve because Chase Saxon was almost perfect. And yes, Ken Roxon, again, you'd expect him to improve a bit, but as you mentioned, with his health issues, it wasn't, didn't seem that humid there in California or that hot. So that's still a big question mark for him to, to last the series. Chase Saxon, it looks like he has the bike handling well. It looks like he's very comfortable that he's been putting in the work. And we know Saxon is a hard worker. He looks like he's ready for this title. But the thing I think with Saxon, as we've seen in Supercross, can he avoid those crashes when other riders, you'd imagine Eli Tomac's going to come to the fore and the pressure's really on, but taking that as it was in a vacuum at Pala, Chase Sexton's the guy to beat. Yeah, exactly. If you isolate and just look at that one race, you know, Chase Sexton will take some stopping on that form, but will he be able to maintain it? And like you said, other riders will step up. Um, I mean, he got two good starts, which helps. It'll be interesting to see, you know, first moto this weekend, if, if he gets a bad start, how he'll cope with that. And uh, just to John Roxon, um, 
while it was nice to see him have a strong weekend coming into it, we weren't really too sure. Um, but at the same time, I feel like we should maybe just not hype him up too much. He won A1 and look how that went. So hopefully, fingers crossed, he can maintain this and last season without any issues. And mentally, he seems to be in a better place. So I just hope he can maintain this because, like I've said before, Ken Roxon's an unbelievable rider. And talent-wise, he's maybe the most talented rider there. So it's not nice to see him ride around in 10. So fingers crossed he can maintain this. And the same with Saxon. If he can maintain this, the Hondas are going to be hard to stop. And Honda in general, we'll go to 250s in more detail later, but 1-2 in the 450 class, 1-2 in the 250 class, which was an Aussie 1-2, and then 1-2 for Yamaha and MXGP. That was probably the story of the weekend overall when you look at both series. It was the 1-2 weekend, and Honda on their 50th anniversary They've got to be really, really pleased. Their bikes looked fantastic. The kit looked great, especially Honda's uh, or Fox's Honda kit that was reminiscent of Ricky Johnson, I think, about in about 1986. Ricky Johnson was there commentating and did a great job, apart from one sentence that baffled me, and we'll talk about that later. But really, really cool. The whole thing couldn't have worked any better for Honda. And McGrath, Jeremy McGrath was there as well, of course, another Honda legend in, from the 90s. So you had two Honda legends commentating on Honda going one-two in both motos, with Ricky Johnson looking at bikes and graphics from, and kit from the era that, that he rode in the mid mid eighties. It was pretty much the the perfect scenario for that team, especially in the four fifty class when you consider they've had a relatively tough Supercross season with Roxon going away early and Saxon having his up and downs to come out and just go one-two bang first round of the nationals. Really impressive. Yeah, I mean. It was the, the weekend to do it with the Honda celebrating their 50th anniversary. So they'll be smiles all around, I'm sure, at the end of that day. But um, a long way to go, and it'll be interesting to see um, if they can keep this up and if they can, what riders can step up to the plate. It's certainly an intriguing season, I think, that we're in for. With 11 rounds to go now. It should hopefully be exciting. Right, I think we'll go to, first of all, we'll mention Christian Craig. Third overall, and probably the level Christian Craig should be riding that weekly. He was really coming off that championship on a 250, but I think it underlines his natural talent that he obviously has a lot of time on that track, but he can just go there, move on to a 450, and put it third overall, battle with Eli Tomac. I think he passed Caruli and Dungey as well at one point. Really, really good by him. It's just a question of whether he can be consistent, but I think talent-wise, and he's lovely to watch as well, of top three, all of really nice fluid styles. Christian Craig, really good to watch. And this time he was able to put the two motors together and get on the podium. So a great start for him as well. But I think the big question marks are probably Eli Tomac, Ryan Dungey and, and Antonio Caroli. We'll start with Dungey, who was probably the of those. I wasn't sure how he would start the year, mostly in terms of the, the intensity. We know he's a hard worker. And what is quite clear after Caroli's performance is Ryan Dundee's had three months to prepare and he's obviously prepared really, really well. Caroli, we all weren't sure what sort of level of preparation he's had. And I think it's pretty clear he wasn't uh, having a joke with anyone when he said it was last minute preparation. He's only known it the last month and he's only been in America from last week. And I feel the difference between Ryan Dundee and Caroli was preparation this weekend. Ryan Dundee's been on that bike for three months, I think. And the one question mark I had, I knew he would be fit. He's already said he loves the bike. 
but I wasn't sure whether he would have the intensity in the first five or 10 minutes, but he got the starts and he absolutely had the intensity for the first five or 10 minutes. Yes, the end of the second moto, he dropped off the pace a bit, but really by that point, he'd, he'd proved himself fifth overall, two good starts, ran the pace probably for the first 15 or 20 minutes of everyone bar the two Hondas. I don't think he could have asked for better in his first race in five years. Really, really impressive. And for me, he's probably only going to get better. And you you have to think he's an outside title contender now with his famed consistency. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not overly surprised that he went 5-5, but it was more the way he done it, like you alluded yeah. to. He was able to get good starts. And for 10 or 15 minutes, to be honest, it was like he had never been away. Quite yeah. hard to believe he's been away for five years. Now, obviously, after... F- you know, 15 minutes, he dropped back a little bit, but that's no surprise whatsoever. The dude hasn't raced in five years. So I think for him, very encouraging that for 10 or 15 minutes, he had the pace. He knows now he does. And it's just about, you know, getting fitter, getting the race intensity to last the whole 30 minutes plus two, and he'll be there. I asked the question at the start of the podcast, is he going to be a championship contender? And honestly, after the first round, I think we can say yes. Because, yeah. you know, he's got work ethic. We all know that. But the one thing about Dungey is he's super, super consistent. So actually, it wouldn't really surprise me if 5-5, five, five, it could possibly be a sports round of the season. You just never know, barring a mechanical or anything like that, of course. But he's got the consistency. We all know that. And he looks really good on that bike as well. Um, obviously, there's been a lot said about the four, the new bike, and especially the 450 with uh, it's not being quite as good as the as the model last year, but Dungey's hopped on it and he, he looks to be channeled really well with the bike. So, and like you said, he will definitely only get better from here. So, it's actually going to be quite exciting, and especially if Tomac rides the way he rode, it's it's completely wide open. You would say, yeah. And I think the fact Dungey's probably raved about this bike more than we've heard anyone else rave about it tells you a that he spent a lot of time on it but he also said that whenever he first got on the bike he was really enjoying it and that's all good when you're practicing and, and testing but the proof of the pudding was is in the racing as that don't say but he legitimized his opinion on the bike and i'm sure that's given him even more confidence in contrast to that you had antonio caroli for me that was and this is a compliment because to get seventh overall, when that was probably the most un- Antonio Caroli I've seen maybe in since 2004, 2003, probably. He didn't look comfortable with no bad preparation in terms of, of his fitness because it, it was such a last minute thing to get together to go and race in America. You could tell that at the end of the races, obviously, because that was when he's usually at his best those last 10 minutes and he would drop off then. I think the encouraging thing was his practice times. I think he was fifth both times out. He was actually quicker than Dungey. And interestingly, in the first race, he didn't get a great start. He got caught behind Alex Martin and lost time. It looked like it actually was Dungey that that first five, 10 minutes took him a while to get going. His pace wasn't too bad after that. And his best lap was, I think, only four tenths off Dungey. And Dungey was in the top five, actually, I think top three for a while in that first motor riding really well. So it looks like Caroli's pace is actually there, but then he did mention in an interview on, on Swap Moto that he's been riding with a different frame in Europe and testing suspension based on that with his R&D. Went to America riding a different frame and the suspension doesn't work. 
Now, bear in mind, he's never really ridden at Pala bar Presta, and a lot of the Americans, that's a fairly familiar track for them to go testing at. So Crowley's hoping to ride it again this week, On a, obviously when it's still rough, to get a better balance and feel with this bike because he never looked comfortable and he alluded to the fact that he was actually just cruising out there. And I think at his age, to get seventh overall, including a crash while he was, I think he was sixth, he'd maybe even passed Eli Tomac at that point in the first moto, to still get seventh overall with a lack of preparation, not having the fitness and on a bike he certainly didn't even look comfortable on because you could tell he was never aggressive. I actually think that's a good round for Carole and bound it in some way if he can sort the, the bike comfort out and get a setting that he thinks he's bound to be thinking podiums and top fives are certainly possible. And for me, if he'd actually been able to test and come in and had more preparation and essentially knowledge that he was racing the championship two or three months ago, he could have been a title contender. He's obviously lost quite a few points there, but I still think he's he's there thereabouts. It's just whether he can catch up quick enough before the, the other riders who are ready can... Uh, get in their flow and, and get those points away from him. But while it wasn't Caroli's best by a good margin, the fact he was still seventh, still got sixth in that last moto, probably has to give him some confidence and some positivity going into to round two. And how that goes, if he can get the bike ready, will maybe be an indication then of whether he'll do the full series or not, because we know he wants to ride Redbud. And I would say the level he showed at Pala isn't where he wants to be when it comes to red, but so he's going to want to get better regardless of what decision he makes long-term for the championship. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have to say, I did think Crowley was going to do better this weekend, but only because I thought Crowley would have put, you know, the work in to, to try and maybe not win this championship, but to try and, you know, get podiums and t- get top fives. But clearly he was telling the truth when he said he was on, uh, not, prepared the bet as uh, the way he should be like if it was an MXGP season which I wasn't expecting but I thought he might have put in some motos you know to prepare but done obviously <laughs> Denny yeah exactly so he only ended up doing one so he completely told the truth and there you go um, but anyway considering as you say he wasn't comfortable on the bike and he didn't take any risk probably because he wasn't that comfortable I mean you could physically see at the end of the second motor he was just cruising around really and you know, he wasn't attacking the track as the way he normally would and riding with that urgency he usually has. So, as you say, for him to come away seventh overall, just riding around at, at, at times for, for, for his for his real level, 10 and 6, and if he hadn't crashed, it would have been 6 and 6. It's yeah. it's a real shame he didn't go 6, six actually, because That's considering how been, bad he yeah. rode for his standards, he would have barely lost any points to Dungey, and Dungey's getting lots of hype, which he deserves. But um, it's going to be interesting. My only worry is because he hasn't really prepared coming in. There's only so much you can do in a week. So yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how much better he'll be. I mean, he'll probably be around somewhere similar, maybe two five fives or somewhere like that. I but think, then you uh, have to factor in. You have to factor in Anderson Barsha had disastrous starts, yeah. so they'll <laughs> probably not be far off. So it is going to be interesting. What I would say is about him doing the full championship. He obviously wants to do the motocross the nations at Redbud. It obviously makes sense for him to race the national at Redbud. That's round four. So I'd be surprised if he doesn't stay yeah. around to do at least the four rounds and then make another decision after that one. If he's yeah. doing well 
as you say, he's a long way off his best. So at his best, there's no doubt he'll be in around the podium and maybe even get the odd race win. So I would like to see him stick at it and do the full championship. Why not? He's got nothing to lose. He's a nine times world champion. And at his best, he just finished, or at far from his best, he just finished seventh overall. So why not stick at it and prove it won't take him long and he'll be right up there, I'm sure. Yeah, I think he isn't going to make too much gains in fitness in a week. I think his hope is that he'll make progression yeah, the with bike. the bike this yeah. week. We saw Roger Coster said he did well, but then in the in the during the race this was in the second moto said he expected better. And I think that probably sums it up. And I'm sure Carulli, while he probably did well for the preparation and the comfort, the discomfort, you should probably say, he felt on the bike. I think he knows his margin for improvement is, is pretty big. And Sexton and Rocks and that pace is maybe out of range for the moment. But I think in a week or two, with bike comfort, that sort of dungy level certainly isn't far away because we know usually that Carulli, even in his qualifying times there, he was, a, he was actually quicker than Dungey, I think, in qualifying. So I don't think that level's too far away from him if he can find bike comfort. But then from there, obviously, there's going to be a bit of work to do if Chase Sexton's going to set that pace week in, week out. Yeah, well, that's sort of what I meant with um, I'm not sure what he can do on the week. Even with the bike, I'm not really sure what he can mm. do in a week because as we know, a lot of the American practice tracks are um, speedways to put it, you know. So it's it's quite yeah, hard yeah. To, to test, you know, when there's when they're not really riding around a bumpy track. So, uh, yeah, I think you said he wants to go to Pal on Tuesday, whether it's still rough or they've leveled. That's another question. But bike-wise, I'm not sure how much he can do in a week. He'll probably need two or three weeks, so... Um, hopefully we'll find out after hang time what his plans are for the rest of the season yeah certainly seventh overall no disgrace at all and have actually quite impressive under the circumstances he had to race in so now we come to Eli Tomac and after the good start and running third in, in the first moto whenever he stopped dropping back to sixth and I think maybe Crowley actually got him as well I thought he's actually re-injured that knee again and his whole outdoor season I think everyone might, did might be in turmoil and then he came back and got almost third caught Craig didn't quite make the move I think he was wasn't he fourth in the second race but worked his way forward yeah. a couple of places passing Crowley and Dungey and then you were left scratching your head thinking is the knee okay and was it just one of those weird Eli Tomac average days and his comments after indicated it was more a bike setting situation. And obviously you have to look at the fact he hasn't been able to prepare par- properly with the knee injury and it is a new bike. So maybe those were the factors more so than the knee injury itself. I think it's still one to keep an eye on because when it all clicks with Eli, he could easily go out to Hangtown and go one, one. So he's another one that you, you mentioned earlier with rocks and the longevity Tomac, this knee injury and the performance was slightly head-scratching. What more to come from him and Antonio Caroli as well? So there's still all these answers that we're waiting for because we've actually had more questions after these performances. But Eli Tomac, I was probably expecting to be faster, just even with that knee injury. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the whole world, anyone watching that first moto thought, uh-oh, it's a knee issue. Yeah. I think everybody would have thought that automatically. Um, if you've been following the situation. But then he came out in Moto 2 and he rode a lot better. I mean, he still, I mean, he pretty much still got smoked, but which is really <laughs> confusing because he rode better, which shows it's probably not an issue. 
but you know he was still a long way off the front too. So I went to bed very confused on Saturday night. It's almost like it's A1 all over again. He had a complete disaster at A1 mm-hmm. too. But then, you know, after that, something clicked and we saw the real Eli Tomac. Maybe his strategy is just to get through the first rounds because he knows yeah. you can lose a championship there and not win it. So I'm very intrigued to see what Eli Tomac comes out at round two to do. It, and does, it wouldn't surprise me if he wipes the floor with him and just ups his level. If he rides the same as he did again two weeks in a row, slightly concerned, you have to say, for the you have to say the title favour coming into it with Dylan Ferrandis right? And I think everyone will be thinking they have to take as many points on Eli Tomac right now as they can, because if he does figure out it, he, he could be hard to beat. Just staying with Eli Tomac and going back to, to, to Rick Johnson. He's actually he's really interesting to listen to in terms of what he did in his career when he's commenting different uh, scenarios during the race and what rider A, B and C should do. But he did come out with a strange quote saying Eli Tomac has revolutionized the sport by standing up more in the corners. Now, Stefan Average has been doing that from 1990. Johnson was actually racing whenever Average was, right, was racing as well at the start of his career. Now, unless... America have completely banned 2006 average riding around the outside of James Stewart from their entire memory. I don't really see. And then the, the ensuing Ken Rocks and Jeffrey Hurlings and Crowley standing up into the corners and the dominance they've had from Everts. The line of standing up around a corner has actually come from Stefan Everts on the GP side in the somewhat modern era. So how Eli Tomac is getting credit with that, I have no idea. In fact, I... <laughs> kind of seen it as Eli Tomac saw the way Hurlings and Roxon and Crowley and especially in that Florida GP that they were doing and a couple of and nations and all the times he's been racing them, the way they have stood up and it looks to me recently in the last couple of years Tomac has stood up more but for some reason the narrative has been spun that it's Eli Tomac that's invented the Stefan Everts technique from 1990, quite bizarre yeah, it's strange, but then you have to remember these guys probably don't watch MXGP and have no idea about it. I mean, yeah, Tomac stands up more than he used to, but he still wouldn't stand up as much as somebody like Jorge Prado, who also, like you mentioned, you know, probably used examples from yeah. Everts, Rocks even, and Hurlings and Fives Dunks. Yeah, exactly. So fact, strange comment, but there you go. That's his opinion. He's allowed it, but yeah, strange one. Yeah, and was actually interesting that Saxon said James Stewart told him to sit down more, which was ironic given how Everts beat James Stewart at Matterley Basin. But uh, that is interesting. Sexton, Saxon certainly has a style and technique, and it's working yeah. for him at the minute. So he goes into the next round as the guy to beat. But one rider who was actually very fast, and I would have been really interested if he had got the start to see if he could have run with Saxon, Ken Roxon, was Jason Anderson. We didn't get to see much of him, but his ride through the pack and race one was, was really impressive up to fourth. And then unfortunately he went down on, on the thing was the second turn. I think he actually collided with, with Barsha or Barsha ran into the back of him. It was a bit of a mess and he had to come from the back again up to eighth place. Um, Anderson was actually really good. His overall sixth doesn't really reflect the speed he probably had. He should have been, You'd imagine, at least up with Craig, battling for that third place, and it would have been really interesting, as I said, to see if he'd got away with Saxon and Roxon. He's definitely one yeah, to watch was, coming into Hangtown. It was definitely reflective of a Supercross season. How many yeah. times were we saying in the <laughs> Supercross season, he's probably the fastest guy, one of the fastest men. Now, obviously, 
slightly different to Pala because I don't think he would have got near the Hondas. But as you say, he certainly could have challenged for podium. But everything just seemed to go wrong in the opening laps. But, you know, he's, it was um, d- damage control whenever those sort of things happen. So to, to go for it and get sixth out of it isn't too bad at all. You'll probably mark, he'll be hoping to mark that down as a bad day when it comes to results at the end of the championship. Obviously, he's never won around of this of this series. It's quite hard to believe, but um, it looks like this year he has what it takes to be a podium guy, and then on a good day, win one or who knows, maybe win two or three. But um, another rider that yeah, we're while we're talking about styles is I really enjoy watching Christian Craig ride, yeah, and it's it's a, it's a bit of a shame his podium's been overshadowed in a way because he rode really well and he came from behind a pass load of guys, I think in the first moto. So to go 3-3, it shows it was no fluke. He'd done it in both motos. And I think Craig's obviously raced to 450 before, but I think the difference between before and now is, I think he maybe has a bit more belief now. And also with the star Yamaha behind him, that's a, as it's, it's been proven this last, this last year, what a good job they're doing. So I think he's got more belief and with that team behind him, I don't see why he can't be a consistent, you know, podium guy, top five guy, because he certainly has the talent, the speed, and the style. Okay, so who is Josh Gilbert? That was the question every single person in America, including Jason Wagon and, and uh, Chris Kiefer, all, all the media members were absolutely baffled with this name they never heard of. For UK fans and probably a few um, GP fans, we knew who Josh Gilbert was. Talking of style, he's a really nice, smooth style to, to boot, but a top, obviously, UK championship runner. He's won races this year as well, and he has scored points in Grand Prix before. I kind of expected him to be in around that 10 to 15 range, but his raw pace at time was actually inside that top 10. In fact, in the first moto, at one point, he was starting to catch Antonio Carulli. I don't know whether Carulli got a pit board to say Josh Gilbert's behind, and he realized that should not be where he should be and he suddenly found his rhythm and dropped his lap times by a couple of seconds but Josh Gilbert rode really really well to come there limited track preparation he's not a Grand Prix regular but he is a very good British British championship rider he showed his pace and I think everyone knows who Josh Gilbert is now in America yeah absolutely um obviously coming into it a lot of unknowns for him. Obviously, he's used to racing the British Championship, first and foremost. I think he'd done six, maybe seven GPs last year. So he knows what it takes to ride at the highest level. But obviously, first time racing in the MA National, you never know where you stand. So going into it, I'm sure he would have been nervous, but open-minded. You know, if he, he, he probably would have took 217, something like that, just to start. So for him to go... 12, 14, and in the second moto, he actually had stomach cramp. It was the the longest moto of his life, I think. So he was actually struggling, so to struggle to finish 14th. Um, I think, you know, he wouldn't have been too far off the top 10, I think, if he had a road. Well, he was the same as he in had the first in, couple of laps. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he, yeah. So if he rode the same way as he did in the first one, he certainly wouldn't have been too far off the top 10, which, which is a fantastic start. So confidence-wise, he should be able to take that to to the next two rounds now. It's good to see him and the, the team race the first three rounds and who knows, it sounds like they'll probably do more than that too. But I do think they're committed to the British Championship. So any of the collide, you know, he'll, he'll have to race the British, but still still a great experience for him. And 
you know what, if you're Josh Gilbert, it probably makes more sense to be racing the MA Nationals than MXGP. MXGP, you could probably ride the same pace and finish 18th to 22nd. And that's yeah. not exactly fun. Whereas in the MA, you know, he's knocking on the top tour, top 10, and it's probably a lot more enjoyable for him, too. And you had an interesting stat on his points over GP last year, and the points he's already done better on his points total this year with one round in America. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you've hit me. I can't remember off the top of my head now. What was it? Oh, yeah, he scored 11 MXGP points and 14 MXGP motos last year. And he's done one AMA national and he's already got five more points. He's got 16 points, so not bad at all. And I think the fact his name's going to be rattling around in America as well is good for him if any potential filling rides come up Mm. too. But... Josh Gilbert has an experience. He's, he's race Grand Prix. He's a top British championship rider. But to get that experience of racing a US national as well, it has to be pretty cool because whenever he retires, he'll have all these, these memories now. And maybe an MN national seemed quite far away when he was growing up. But he's done that now. And he's he's really put his name on the map. And obviously, with a performance like that, they're, they're bound to have a few more for him to go to too. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be interesting. It's just a just a shame that Bobby Chef, with what's happening in the world, couldn't yeah, be with is, him yeah. as well. It's weird, really though. big shame because he but. probably wouldn't be be far off Gilbert or maybe slightly ahead of him. Who knows? Because obviously Bobby Chef knows how to ride it back, but hopefully he'll get his chance before the end of this championship. Fingers crossed for. Him. Right, moving to the to the T fifty class, and it was Aussie dominance in America. Jet Lawrence was on another level, and Hunter wasn't far away. But for Hunter. The two starts weren't as good on that first couple of laps. He doesn't seem to have the pace Jet has either. Halfway into the race, Hunter's really going. But by that point, Jet's kind of gone. And second moto, Hunter actually had Joe Schmuda to deal with as well. But he, he was consistent in, in that effort to try and get Joe. And it finally got him on the last lap. And Hunter probably knows the way Jet's riding. Even getting a third instead of a second is probably pretty crucial because Jet's on a super high level right now. But it looks like it's the two Aussies going for the title although we must say Justin Cooper he hasn't had the preparation and we saw in the first moto the speed and the skill and the starts are still there and if he was fit you would imagine he would become the, the third guy in that uh, trio but at the minute it's uh, Joe Schmoda that was pretty impressive coming off his Supercross season but certainly Jet Lawrence is the guy to beat Yeah I mean absolutely this this could be a long championship for the rest let's be honest Um it was domination really from Jet and you know at a track that first moto I wouldn't say it was rough it got slightly bumpy for the second motos but there's going to be rougher tracks and that's the worrying thing for the rivals as the tracks get rougher these boys are just going to be Especially as good the and the other guys might even yeah. yeah and the other guys might even get slower so I think the alarm bells will be ringing I mean Justin Cooper aside obviously he's just not ready to race yet but on his day you know he'd be the one but you're looking around, looking at the names. Who can challenge these two? Um, these two Lawrence brothers. They're they're going fast. And uh, Hunter, interestingly enough, my Marco Camper interviewed him after after the moto. He for says he's actually been quicker than Jet. And yeah, right. for gate drops, sorry, I'm um, <laughs> promoting my own website there. Um, <laughs> Hunter has actually been quicker than Jet in practice, but he got sick a week leading into the event, so he didn't have a good build up, and he felt a little bit weak. So Hunter will probably feel he can run with Jet and maybe even beat him. So it will be interesting if those two battle for the win, obviously being brothers. So one to keep an eye on. Yeah, and if, uh, 
I've alluded to it a few weeks before. I don't think people realize how good or promising or hyped Hunter was in GPs. He was coming in at 17, 18, not quite doing what Jet's doing now, but Jet has the program and experience to do that kind of because Hunter got the good ride in America start with via Geico. Hunter is a fantastic rider as well. And he's had these injuries and Jet obviously is overtaking him in terms of hype and, sp- and speed. But I think Hunter's kind of closing that gap a wee bit more now. And for those two to go one, two in the US Nationals, at the minute look like they're, they're potential, the main title contenders to have a, a title in US Supercross and Hunter to come very close to a title. What they're doing from Australia as a family is that the commitment they've shown the ability to ride and race and do well in Europe, but there's a bigger culture shock than going to America. Going to America, I would imagine, is easier for them to, to live in coming from Australia, especially with just with the language and lifestyle and everything. They've always had good people in their corner, from Stefan Everts to Ken Roxon's dad, now Johnny O'Mara. So they're smart with the people they surround themselves with. They're obviously smart and able to take that advice on board and they certainly have the talent to execute when it really matters, as we're saying. And for a family to do that, to come from Australia, I mean, to go one, two and be the two main guys in America coming up, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. For respect to the family, you know, um, whenever they left Australia, they've done it the right way. They sold everything there, fully committed, brought the whole family to Europe. You know, there was no going back. Um, Some Aussies maybe come over. If a year doesn't go well, they go back home. That's it. They're done. But these guys knew what they were getting themselves into, made the sacrifices, did it in the, in Europe, um, and then got the opportunity to come to America. I would have liked to see them maybe staying in uh, the GPs to try and go for world titles. Obviously, that didn't happen. America's probably where they both wanted to be, growing up in Australia, and here they are now. Um, they've, they've done it the right way. You know, it was nice to see them, even if the the scene. GPs as a stepping stone to America. It was still nice to see them make that step because they probably could have went straight from Australia to America. So done it the right way. And great to see the Lawrence brothers dom- dominating really in America. And um, it's a good time for, for brothers with the Conan brothers and the yes, Resless brothers. The Resless, so now they'll try and follow in their footsteps. Yeah. But hopefully they stay in the GP paddock first. Uh, America have their set of brothers now. <laughs> yeah, and I think... What the Lawrence has learned in Europe, obviously, as well as Australia and by their dad, has really benefited them when it comes to America with the, the riding technique and the experience they have of all the different tracks that you have to have good technique for and the ability to kind of arrive at a track and take on whatever is there in order to succeed in terms of weather conditions. Going to America, they already all have that under under their belt, and then they can go and learn learn the supercross and add another string to their bow. So they're probably two of the most well rounded riders in the world, also. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, apart from maybe somebody like Ken Roxon, who can argue yeah. he's got the experience on them, but as soon as those Lawrence brothers get a bit more experience, you know, they could dominate in America for many years to come. And you know, it's quite interesting. Out of the six riders on a podium in an AMA national. In America, only two of them were American. Quite unbelievable, really, when you look at it that way, isn't it? Yeah, especially considering there's there's obviously no Americans in the World Championship. So if you ex- extrapolate that out to include MXGP and MX2, you're what, six, 12 riders, only two are America, which is, 
and that obviously includes their own national championship. So interesting times, but you have to say Chase Sexton is probably their their biggest hope at the minute, and and, and he's producing. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's going to be one to keep an eye on, though. Who can step up to the plate in America in terms of riders coming up, and who the next, you know, um, Justin Cooper is there or Chase Sexton? It will be interesting. It was. Nice to see Nick Rom- Rom- Romano, actually, the rookie, get the whole shot. I think he got very, very excited. And after 20 minutes, he was yeah, done. So but at least he can say he led a lap. And yeah, he, at least he can say he led on his uh, AMA 250 pro debut. And he's in for the full championship. So somebody like that will be looking to learn lots. And um, Austin Fortney had a, had a solid day. I expected six, more six speed, but at least overall, he got so. decent points. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's what it's about. I think he needs to start slowly and work into it after um, the se- the outdoor season he had last year where we're sort of thinking, what's going on here? So hopefully he can build and, and bridge that gap as the season continues. Yeah, and the, the younger America, I know uh, Deegan's coming through, uh, Ryder D. Francesco, there's um, Chance Hymas, I think you might have to say, the Honda guy, and there's, an, there's another Cowie rider coming through. Ferry, Ferry son. He's yeah, very and very too as well. So there are riders coming up, but this current cluster of young riders are fast, but they seem to be very more hit and miss. They don't have the consistent speed to be there every week. It was actually RJ Hampshire was the top American, and he's not not getting any younger. And also probably exhibit A for speed and inconsistency with his crashes and pushing the limit. It seems to this, the throttles kind of more an on-off switch with the younger riders coming up. Or do you watch how Jet Lawrence is riding, even Joe Schmuda, Hunter Lawrence? It's more about technique and how they're using the bike in the meat of the power. The Americans tend to be more all throttle and all clutch. It'll be interesting to see if the next wave of amateurs coming through, if that kind of alters a wee bit and the maybe change how, how they're riding the bike. But certainly there seems to be a gap, maybe not in terms of raw pace, but in terms of being able to do that raw pace consistently over a number of different tracks certainly outdoors, that isn't quite there at the minute. Obviously, with the exception of Justin Cooper, who's only back after a really bad foot injury, but we know he's the ability to be fast every moto every weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think it's down to their tracks, to be honest. Um, I mean, fair enough, Pala did get bumpy, but it was still a track you had to attack. You know, the, the corners and stuff were still fast, so you could ride it in a flat open way. And a lot of the AMA tracks are like that. You know, they're, they're pin it to win it kind of tracks. Even when they do get rough, they still stay very fast. So I think that's why the young Americans have got that riding style, which is fair enough because suits their that's tracks. what's needed in their home country and it suits their tracks. It's just when riders from different backgrounds go over there, you can see that they have a bit more, you know, they have road different kind of tracks. So you need throttle control. You need a better technique. So it's just... Yeah, it's, it's 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 interesting to watch the different styles, but um, you can definitely tell Lawrence's are benefiting from their GP experience. That's for sure. Yeah, when you look at the way Austin Forkner rides, for example, to Jet Lawrence, the sort of contrast and growing up in America and growing up outside America is, is pretty pretty vast. But both are obviously very very fast. Like jumping across to Spain and, and MXGP, we'll actually start with MX2 and. Just to bring Jet Lawrence into this, the speed Tom Vial and Yago Gertz were going, and with the ease of it, Jet Lawrence seemed to win Pala 
wouldn't have minded seeing him hopping on a flight and joining Iago Gertz and Tom Vial at the front of MX2. Yeah, it'd be very, very exciting to watch, but I think you're dreaming there. Never going to happen, right. unfortunately. We might have to wait the Red Bull, and if Belgium don't even go to Red Bull, we'll not see Gertz. And of course, it's in America. So um, there's that if, as well. But if, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, a motor across the nations in Europe again to see, you know, somewhere that's neutral, you know, somewhere like Italy that doesn't really benefit Fial, Gertz or Lawrence. But unfortunately, Fial will be on a bigger bike next year and Gertz might even be as well. So we'll probably never see the showdown that we deserve, which is a shame because both Lawrence brothers, Fial and Gertz, oh, it'd be, it could be some crazy racing. And with... Ferran is currently hurt. If he doesn't come back, you could maybe see Vial moving up to the big bike and Benestar right now makes two from World Cross of Nations. Anyway, mm, regardless point, although, of what Gertz, Gertz mm, could be on a bigger bike if he rides with Everts in uh, MX2. So although Fevre will be back, so you Fever think it would be, be Fevre and Renault and then Vial, hopefully. We've probably got a better head of ourselves. Back to, back to <laughs> MX2. and to Spain. Yeah, and Iago Gertz... We've seen him make mistakes before, but I don't feel that first moto mistake was really on him. For me, it was more on the overwatering of the track. And he was really lucky not to be badly injured or potentially lose his world title there. Fair play to me, he got up. You could see he was sore and came right back to ninth, ninth or tenth. And actually, it was a it was a really good ride under the circumstances. He'll probably be more disappointed with the mistake in race two when he was leading and it was looking like it was a Vial Viago again. And he lost six points there. If you think about Vial, would have had three less and he would have had three more in that second moto, which would have brought the points way down again. But I think he's still only around 10 back. And for what happened, and to still get on the podium, you're probably going to have to put this down as a, a bad day. But overall, he kind of got away with it compared to what could have been. Yeah, the first moto crash, I'm kind of on the fence with it, to be honest. Obviously, they overwatered the track, but at the same time, nobody else crashed there. And the first three or four laps, you should know just to take it easy. And I think he was pushing very hard, to be honest, because he's seen Vial in fourth. And I think he was pushing hard to try and break away before Vial got into second. I feel like if he maybe just took his time a little bit more, he would have been all right and escaped that crash. But difficult one. Uh, second one, you're right. Disappointing to crash out of the lead because... Even though Vial was unbelievable this weekend, he went 1-1 and didn't have to pass Iago once. So Iago sort of made the mistakes that he capitalised yeah. on. But at the, at the end of the day, for Iago to have the massive crash that he did, you know that could have been the season over, never mind the championship. So um, for him to end up with a podium, I think you know, it snatched your hand off. Probably the second he, he picked that bike up to, to be on the podium. Although I have to say, is I'm not sure what Yamaha are thinking. Uh, he gets up to ninth. He's all over Bonacorsi. He just can't pass him. You know, if he loses his championship by a point, that's that point right there. If I was Yamaha, I would have had the pit boards out to Bonacorsi, pull over, let let um, yeah, that was a, that obviously was they're not for me as well. Yeah, and and Bonacorsi isn't even doing the full it's series, so it doesn't really matter if he finishes eighth or ninth. And even though they're not the same team, you know, you would have thought Yamaha would have had a word, but anyway. Um, a podium still good for Gertz, but Tom Vial, you know, <laughs> I, I, did say it, I did say at Rayola, the bike was looking better, the back end wasn't bouncing mm-hmm. around like it did there. Obviously, diff- to- totally different conditions in the hard pack in Spain. I was looking for the same thing, and we got it. He looks back to his best, and he looks at one of, uh, with his bike, which 
we couldn't say for the first seven rounds probably. So um, he's a man in form, a man in confidence. And if he goes 1-1 in France, it's going to be interesting to see how Gertz responds. But certainly with the home crowd behind Vial in France, it's, it's going to be really, really intriguing. And I can't wait to see how it pans out. Yeah, the, the French Grand Prix is always fantastic anyway with the crowd and the atmosphere. But Tom Vial's just hit his top form again at the right time. And for Iago Gertz, those crashes probably came at the wrong time. I think Iago has the speed of Tom, but now he's 10 points back. I think this these next couple of weeks of, of Grand Prix racing isn't so much about Iago's speed. It's about mentally, can he handle, can he keep this together under what's going to be a lot of pressure in France? Tom has all the momentum now. Now Iago's chasing again, but he's done it once and came back to get the points lead. But Vial's really hitting his marks now. As you mentioned, he's happy with the bike. He's got the bike sorted. His fitness is sorted. He was playing catch-up at the start of the season. Iago looked like he had a bit of pace on him at pretty much every round. But somehow he's ended up going into France with the with the points lead. And the pressure's on Iago to come back strong now. We saw Vial when he was back. It was against the wall. He was producing his intensity in the first laps. was fantastic. He didn't get the good start. He was making quick passes to get back on Iago. And whether he's able to pass or Bernard or whoever won the race, it was always ended up between them two recently. Now Vial has a points lead. It's imperative for Iago Gertz to not let Tom Vial get extend that too much more because we know once Vial gets that bit of a gap, he's very good at controlling things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you said Gertz doesn't have to worry about his speed, but I would argue he does because these <laughs> boys, are. it's impossible to go much quicker than these guys on a 250. Yeah, there's no margin so, for error. Um, yeah, just, so... I mean, Gertz, he can't let Vial go 1-1 in France, I feel. Obviously, there's a long way to go in the championship. And if, and if, and if Gertz goes 2-2 and Vial goes 1-1, it's not a complete disaster. But, I mean, he had, he had a six-point lead. He's now 10 behind. And if Vial goes 1-1 again, it's going to be at least 16 points. Things can tally up very quickly. So. Yeah. Even even if Gertz ties with Vial in France, I, I feel like that's okay. You know, if he can keep it at 10, that's okay. If he can gain points, that's even better. But I just feel it's important to stop Vial pulling away even more after after the weekend he's just had. So it's going to be interesting, that's for sure. And I can't wait because th- MX2, you could argue, is producing the best racing uh, at the minute across any championship. It's really good to watch. Yeah, the level Vial and Gertz on at the minute especially. You can just tell they're just really in their prime right now. And the title's on the line, and that's, I think that's why the level's increased. Yes, we don't have Kai DeWolf. He might have had to potentially go with them because of that unfortunate uh, traffic accident he had. But certainly Vial and Gertz are, are stepping things up to, to a new level at this point in the season. But Simon Langenfelder, who won the first round in impressive style, he's coming back to form as well. And at times he had really good speed in Spain. Second overall, 2-3, and for him, a really good performance, and you can see how happy he was with it. And it's nice to see him coming back, because I think talent-wise, he's one of the, the special talents in the class, coming after Vial and Gertz, and at times maybe the speed to go with them, certainly at least at the start of the season. But it'll be interesting to see if anyone can even bridge that gap to the level they're going now. But Simon's certainly on his way back to form. But for me, the, the big story, the Good story of the of the weekend was Liam Everts. 
I've noticed the last two or three weekends from his comeback, his intensity seems even higher than it has been. He's always been smooth, but he's certainly added a layer to of intensity to his racing. But he's never been getting the starts. He had to come from the back at Rail. I think he crashed every first lap. Again, he had to come from the back after a bad to mediocre start in the first moto in Spain. And he rode really well. I think he got the sixth or sixth, seventh through the field sixth, there. Yeah. So he had the he had the pace. And finally, I've been th- waiting all year long for a good start. He finally nailed the whole shot in the in the second moto. And yes, he got passed relatively quickly by Gertz, but his attitude really impressed me. He held Vial off as, as long as he could. He wasn't backing down. He was riding like he belonged there. And it took Simon Langenfelder, who was riding well himself, a long time to get past. And even then, Liam kind of held on to his back wheel for a good while. And he had the pressure of Harrop. And Harrop never found his way past. And Harrop's riding the best year of his career. So for Everett, from a mental point of view, I believe he's there. Like He hasn't really seen the front of the pack, I think maybe once all year. But this was his best GP of his career so far. And not once did he look flustered or intimidated, which is really encouraging. We know he's... He has to deal with pressure because of his name, but this was a different sort of pressure. This was a, you're at the front, can you deal with it? And for me, he could deal with it. The only thing he was lacking was a bit of speed on Vial and Gertz, but I think the whole world, bar maybe Jet Lawrence, is lacking that right now. So for Liam to actually see that pace, probably for the first time all year, and maybe in his career, to learn from that, the more starts he gets there, the more he'll be able to learn that pace. And the fact he didn't kind of, collapse mentally and loses rhythm or anything despite a lot of pressure on a track where you couldn't make mistakes was really impressive as well but it underlines we talked about Jet Lawrence's technique we've often talked about Jorge Prado's technique and standing up like Eli Tomac taught the world to do joking I think Stefan Everts taught Liam very well in regarding technique and standing up because his technique was in evidence in Spain and it certainly paid dividends you had to have good technique you had to have good balance for those ruts I think it played into Liam's hands. Superb ride for Liam Everts. And anyone that doubted whether he had the talent to succeed at the top of World Championship, I think they're going to have to eat their words pretty quickly because he's only done about four or five Grand Prix, come back from injury, and he's he's at fourth overall. They're in the top five, and he's a legitimate contender. Yeah, firstly, just on Lagenfelder, after Mallory Basin, I mean, you wouldn't have thought he'd have had to wait to round nine to get back on the podium, but just the way things have went, don't necessarily feel like his riding's been bad, but I know after Mallory, maybe the three rounds after that, he was having quite a lot of bad luck, but it's nice to see him ride um, with that flow again that he had at Mallory Basin, and second overall, two, three, it was definitely overdue to see him back on the podium, so he'll be hoping he won't have to wait another eight rounds to get to get the next podium and yeah Liam Everts I think you've said everything there is to say technique brilliant and you know it's never really to me anyway it's never really a surprise to see him at the sharp end when the when the track's technical like that because that's when he excels but yeah it was the his attitude was great you know he was making them boys um do do anything to get past and, and like yeah. you said her up couldn't could, couldn't do it Everts, you know, he looked like he belongs there and he looks like he believes it, which is half the battle sometimes. Mm-hmm. So big progress for him. That's the second time he's been fourth overall, riding really, really well. So I think next on the list will hopefully be a podium. But I feel like the track needs to be technical like that. And if it yeah. is, I feel like he's not too far away from a podium. But I think his weak areas, whenever the track's more balls out, 
So I'm intrigued to see how the tracks are the next couple of rounds. I think Germany, having been there, that'll definitely shoot him. So who knows, he might even get in the podium there. New preparation. Stephen Urbini, really good ride from him as well. He's had a couple of standout performances this year. Fifth overall from him and a third in the first moto. So good to see him back up his, his other good performances. He's really finding some consistent speed at this point in the season. Yeah, very underrated rider, I think, Rubini. He doesn't get a lot of hype, um, but he's definitely, he's always had speed, just injuries have been an issue, and he maybe hasn't had the best bike, and even this year, he's, he's I mean, he's, he's got a stock engine, but the SR Honda team are certainly very good at um, setting up a bike, and I think the new Honda, to be fair, is a lot better than the, the ones in the past, so nice to see a Honda at the sharp end, and Stephen Rubini showcases talent and, and what's his last year in the MX2 World Championship. At hard pack tracks like that, I feel he's another one that they can get on the podium, but um, he, he struggles maybe to get two good starts, which you would have to say I let him down in Spain, one good start, but the second moto, the start was no good, and you know, you're not going to get on the podium by starting outside the top 10. Another rider that impressed me was Jan Pankar when, when the tracks are hard and slick like that. He's another one that doesn't get much hype, um, but he can ride those conditions really well. 12 8, battling with a lot of good names for 10th overall. Big step in the right direction for him, who's actually riding for his own team as well. Hopefully, that means Tim Geyser and him can go to the Nations for Slovenia at Redbud this year, unlike 2018. Mm, hopefully, but if, we'll see. <laughs> We're getting oh. ahead of ourselves, but I'm, I'm not convinced because Pankar was still pretty good that year, to be fair, and sure. still didn't go. So. So, so negative. Right, we'll go on to MXGP and Maxime Renault. What a day for the Frenchman. He's really looking like he's hitting his form on the 450 now. He's had a good start to this year. A couple of up and down rounds, but starts not quite there. But recently the starts have been better and the pace is obviously really good now. His first moto was pretty impressive. He passed the star of the, the weekend, Jorge Prado, the home, home hero. Prado was then trying to come back at him. Renault didn't make a mistake. And then Geyser come back. He put the pressure on Renault right to the end. And as I mentioned before, with those ruts, your concentration had to be inch perfect. You couldn't make any sort of mistake. It was going to cost you time. Never mind having somebody of Tim Geyser's caliber right on, right on your back wheel, along with Jorge Prado. Not a single mistake from Maxime Renault. He took the win there. And yes, Prado was riding really well. And that, and that second moto was inching away from Renault. But he made the mistake. Renault didn't, and it was a 1-1. First time in the 450, I think only the second time in his career. He's really hitting form, but unfortunately, Tim Geiger still has a big lead. But when, if you're looking at the championship now, it's kind of coming down to those two, and it's just whether Tim has some bad luck, but Renault's putting himself in the position to take advantage if he does. Superb ride. Absolutely. I have to say, in the first MXCP moto, I really enjoyed the first 15 or 20 minutes. It top five. It was very, <laughs> very intense and it was very, very fast. And then, obviously, towards the end, Renault actually stepped it up and they were able to pull away from Prado. I think the Heat probably got the Prado, um, as he's always struggled with that throughout his whole career, really. It's good. I think he's made a very good decision to stay in MXCP and not go to America. But um, back to Renault, I feel like he has had the speed to win at a number of rounds but starts have been letting him down so it was nice to see him get out of that gate and it goes to show it makes life a lot easier when you're in the top three at the start it really does um so when you're already there you can learn the pace and as as i said i feel like he's had the speed 
just mm-hmm. he hasn't been at the front to, to execute it. So it was nice to see him be at the front, execute it. I think in the second moto, you know, I think he knew what was happening. He knew he even though Prado was ahead. If I finish, exactly, I think he knew that. I think he was happy riding in second. I'm sure the team were telling him, you know, guys, you're P6. So he knew, I think he had everything under control to win the GP. And, you know, Prado threw it away and he's went 1-1. So full credit to Maxime Renault. He deserves it. What a rookie season he's had. France have another star. I don't know how they keep doing it. Who will the next one be? God only knows, but they're doing something right anyway. Yeah, and a lot of people were surprised, and I was slightly surprised that he went to 450 without defending his, his MX2 title, but he's, he's proved himself right and everyone else wrong. I expected him to be good, but more a top five guy, and right now he's a legitimate top three, and he's second. almost a title contender, being second place now, but Tim Guys just has that point seat, as we said, but it's Renault that guys are just going to have to keep an eye on the next few rounds. Yeah, well, and don't forget the experience Geyser has too. He's been riding exactly, this class yeah. for, what, five years? You know, this Impressive is Renault's first Renault's year, done. and he's exactly. So I, I just hope he stays injury-free. But then I suppose going into next year, the question mark that Renault will have to deal with is there'll be more pressure on him. But, you know, I think he's a rider that can deal with the pressure. So I'm expecting him to be a front runner next year. But the problem is finishing second in your rookie season. You know, the goal is going to be to win the championship. Uh, yeah, well, that, well <laughs> that's Gertz. it. But the goal <clears> will probably <throat> still be to try and win the championship because, you know, you always want to try and do better. It's going to be very difficult. And, you know, as you said, with all those riders in, he could maybe ride the same as he did at the weekend and finish third or fourth. But that's, that's, that's the reality of MXGP. It's not easy at the top. Yeah, and I think we're starting to see the next generation come in now. We've seen Renault, Guadagnini, we'll touch on him before we we'll do the, the rest of the guys. Guadagnini, really good performance, sixth overall this weekend. He hasn't obviously had much time to adapt to the 450, but he's shown the level of MX2, and it bodes well for Tom Vial coming up next season and potentially Iago Gertz next season, the level they're riding at. But Guadagnini, so far so good in his 450 career, and has probably proved a good move, actually. Yeah, a good move, exactly. Um, I think less pressure probably helps, but as you said, he hasn't had much time to prepare on the bike and he's hopped on it and been just as good as he was in the 250, if not better. Um, I still don't know what they'll decide to do. Well, I know what they're going to decide to do at the end of the season. He's probably going to stay in a 450, but I feel like this could actually make him a better MX2 rider. So yeah. I, still, I still wouldn't rule out why not go back to MX2, have a go at trying to win a world championship because he could be a, an MX2 world championship contender next year. Is he going to be an MXGP world championship contender next year? Probably not, but in the future, who knows? But anyway, it's nice to see him ride like he, know he knows he can after a tough start to the season and, and, and progress on the bigger bike. And we talked about the success Honda had in America going 1-2 in both classes. But for Yamaha, MXGP, to go one to in the Premier class, with all the investment they've put in, Renault coming on board was slightly controversial at times. Glenn Coldenhoff, big money signing, and it was those two that went one to, and a fantastic day for Yamaha. I think days like this, you can't undersell how big an achievement that is for a manufacturer to go one to with all the time, effort, and money, and credit too to the two riders for performing on the day and, and big heat and Glenn Kuldoff's had his ups and downs on the Yamaha, but he looks like he's really 
coming to feel at home on the bike and he's the starts are good. He actually mentioned he had a big crash on the second lap for the first moto before the first moto. Still got a fifth. So I think that underlines that he won the qualifier as well. So it underlines how good he's he's feeling on the bike to maybe still get that second overall after a big crash. Yeah, this is definitely the best Glenn Kohlenhoff is looking on the Yamaha um, this last two weekends, two podiums in a row. It's nice to see because we all know he he, he can be a consistent um, front runner in MXGP. So it's, it's nice to see him do it on the Yamaha and prove that he can do it in the blue machine. But what I would say is, looking at that track, I don't think anyone would have predicted that podium. Renault winning, yes, but to see two, two not one, but two Dutchies on the podium Dutchie, at a, at a slick runs. car pack track like that. <laughs> Very, very impressive. And Ron Bodgers, actually, he was kind yeah, of blowing my mind again in that first moto for 20 minutes. He was he's right, right on him. And right even, even at the end, yeah, even at the end of the moto, he was only 11 seconds off when Renault and Geyser stepped it up. So mm-hmm. really, really encouraging. And, and, and at, a, at a good timing too, after the standing construct team were notified that they're going to be losing their factory status um, for 2023, baffling decision. But, you know, um, the, the team and Bodgers have delivered another podium, so that's great to see. Yeah, and just underline that, he's having a fantastic year. It's the second podium this season, the best form of his career, and as you mentioned, amidst this sort of uncertainty of where he's going to end up next year, regarding that situation, Tim Mathis, and he's proven it again this year, he always gets the best out of his riders, it seems like. We know what he did with Glenn Kotenhoff. Paul's Jones maybe had a slight dip the last couple of weeks, but he's shown his potential on that team. And Brian Bowers is certainly coming to the fore, riding the best he has in his life. And as you mentioned, that first moto, he was with the three fastest guys who were going at it at the front, and he was right there with them. At times, putting pressure on Geyser and also Jorge Prado. And to come away with the podium, third place race two, you have to take your hat off to him because mentally hearing that news, not knowing where you're going to be, it can't be easy either. But he's got his he's got his ducks in a row this year, and he's he's really comfortable. And it doesn't seem to matter as you mentioned what track it is. If he gets the start, he seems to have the pace. Yeah, it's nice to see as well because um you know a lot of keyboard warriors have been on the, about Bodgers in the past. Why has he got this HRC Honda ride? Blah blah blah. But you know the potential was always there for Bodgers on a four fifty. He was a good 250 rider. I think he had maybe one podium, and you know he was always there or thereabouts on on any on given weekends. He just he was probably unlucky not to get more podiums coming into MXGP. You know he's just had injuries. You know I believe at HRC Honda he was more of a test rider. You know having to test things for for Geyser and things like that. So as you said, standing construct and him have been a match made in heaven, and and um. Interestingly enough, Bodgers is actually on a last year's bike. Mm-hmm. So that's maybe to his benefit as well. But uh, either way, he's, he's riding brilliant this season. And, and I just hope wherever he goes next year, uh, he can keep this kind of level of riding up. And Tim Geyser, not 100% after his illness. A pretty good day for him. Second in the, in the first moto, right on Maxime Renault, obviously. Wrote patient, but effectively took advantage of that mistake from Jorge Prado. The last moto, we didn't really get the start, but again, he didn't rush in. He didn't make a mistake. We saw the crash he had in the qualifier, and you're wondering, was he going to make another one of those in the second moto, just being bashed about a bit in the first lap? But he remained calm, got his points all fourth overall, and I think he'll be relatively satisfied with that because that crash on Saturday could have had 
big consequences for the championship if he had landed worse. Absolutely. Again, it was a lovely landing. Um, yeah. Not quite sure how he gets away with it all the time. Uh, between him and Sir, I don't know, sure. but um, they're yeah. made of the right stuff anyway. Um, but yeah, guys, you're, I mean, it's at this stage where what's the point doing something stupid? You've got one hand in this championship, and especially after the crash on Saturday, what's the point in risking it? Sixth, he can afford to take at the moment. Fourth overall, just missing out the podium. That's that's job done. Um, and yeah, he's it, 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 still um, dealing with a, an illness, I think, or sickness. So I'm sure he'll be better and, and he'll be the Tim Geyser we all know in a few weeks. But uh, the illness, obviously, I hope he's feeling better soon. But in a way, it's, it's a good way for, in terms of the racing because it's, it's nice to see battles out on track and not Geyser, just domination, which we've sort of seen at the start of the year. It's, it's, it's nice to, to see other guys winning. And I think we've got four different winners in nine rounds now, so that's not too bad at all. Just a couple of last thoughts from me on MXGP. Ruben Fernandez, seventh overall, but a quietly impressive seventh overall, not totally what I was expecting at his home Grand Prix. Rode really well, both motos, had strong pace, passed actually Prado, um, and the, at the end of, the, of that second moto as well. So for me, that's a really good ride from Ruben. He's just on the at the end of all those top five, six on, on that lead sort of express train in that first moto as well. He's, he's consistent speed. Valentin Guio, fantastic ride for him. It's really good to see him back on form and everything clicking for him again. A few years ago, of course, he actually beat Jeffrey Hurlings on hard pack a couple of times in MX2. The 450s never really went right for him, but a pass on Prado for 10th in the, in the second moto was Jorge struggled a bit, a bit at the end, but Valentin Greer, good to see him. And I would say as well, Evans was actually riding well, but I think I can say the heat doesn't really agree with him at the minute. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. I'm just on Guido, desperately unlucky. I mean, when do you ever finish 10th in both motors and finish 12th overall? <laughs> so unlucky. But I mean, I think going getting two top 10 motos is the is the the positive there? You'd rather that than than get tenth overall and maybe have a twelfth and a tenth or whatever. Yeah, so, right. Um, he, make him he, happy. yeah, he rode really really well. Although I have to say, um, Prado cutting across him, he maybe needed Oof. a new boxers after that one. That was but, so um, scary. Yeah, that was that was very very scary. But you know what? I'll give Prado the Bible for that one because when you're emotionally drained, you make bad decisions and you're not thinking straight. So I, I can understand. But um, yeah. That was crazy, and um, no, no wonder Guido cut the snotter off him when he was passing him. <laughs> uh, another one for me is yeah, another one for pass. me is Alberto Frado again, quietly impressive, seventh, mm-hmm. twelfth for tenth overall. He stole that tenth overall off Guido, bless him. But yeah, yeah, he he had another good weekend. Yeah, and if you're looking. I seem to end up with the motocross of nations a lot, but if you're looking at <laughs> I was thinking about it, Ferrado uh, Caroli, if he can get back to close to what he, he was, which I imagine he would by Redbud. Caroli, Ferrado and Guadagnini back on the 250 is a good team, yeah. but also you have Andre Adamo in there as well. So four good riders, and I guess Lupino, if he can find his form again on the better. Not a great weekend, incidentally, for, for better this weekend. Just to touch on Jorge Prado, I felt like this week maybe encapsulated his, his season this weekend in Spain. The start of the season, he was 
good, but maybe not quite at his best. He got a couple of wins, and I felt the first motor he was a wee bit like that too. He got the whole shot. Renault passed him. He was right on Renault, and then a mistake allowed Geyser in, and he lost that kind of second on Tim. But at times he would chip away and almost get on the Geyser's back wheel and then make another slight mistake and have to do all that work. The three of them were going that fast. It was just tenths of a second here and there. Second moto, he sorted it out, just like he had about four rounds ago in this season. It looked like he had the bike sorted out. And then he had those crashes on the injury. And this time he had that crash just when he was creeping away from Maxime Renault and he just set the fastest lap. That clearly took the wind out of his sails, took the momentum away from him. And with the heat and whatever else, maybe he hit his head or had a bit of injury there because I think he went down quite hard the way he ended up in those ruts, picking the bike up kind of back to front. So it's been that sort of a season for Jorge. He's never quite, I don't think we've ever seen him at 100% when he's been healthy. The bike didn't seem right and now the bike's right. He hasn't really been healthy, obviously, that dislocated shoulder as well. So it's, it, for me, it's been overall a tough year for Jorge, even if at times he's seen glimpses of just how good he is and watching him in those ruts, his precision standing on the foot pegs with the balls of his feet. He's been watching Eli Tomac as well, no doubt. You know, <laughs> his, his technique's just unbelievable to watch. He's so good in the bike. Yeah, I mean, it's strange. At the start of the season, for Jorge Prado, I would say he wasn't riding very good but the results were still generally okay. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like he's actually riding better now than was he was really at the start well, yeah. of the year, but the, <laughs> the results aren't quite as good. You know, that second moto should have been the best moto of his career because, mm-hmm. you know, he was dominating and he hasn't really dominated a moto all season. So that really should have been it. But And then that would have been mentally, he would have been in a great place then going into the next round. But, you know, a big crash. And then, yeah, the heat definitely got them. I think even at the end of the first moto, I was watching Prado because I feel like he was comfortably sitting there watching the front two, but then with five or six minutes to go, he just dropped off the pace completely. So again, I think the heat got them, but it's a tricky one, the heat. You can't really, you know, when you're living in Belgium and riding in Belgium mm-hmm. uh, and, and Italy, I think he just spends a lot of his time too. You don't really get adapted to the heat, so it's not something you can really train for. And he seems to always struggle with it. I remember in a one 2 race at Lomely, I think he collapsed after it, so it doesn't seem to agree with him. It's, it's not something you can really train for. So it's, it's no, a tricky one. I don't think because he's not trained. Yeah, he's not fit. Yeah. He's always a very professional rider. He's yeah, very fit. Exactly. Working, but it's just something within yeah. his body that he seems exactly. to need time to, to adapt to. Right, we'll quickly talk AMX. And whenever I think of the, the 125 class, it was Yamaha battles again. Fantex, but this time yeah. up, up and down results due to a couple of crashes and the first turn and things. And also the Resolute brothers putting on a bit of a show and a bit of a battle as well. Certainly they're, they're going to be ones to watch too, but what were your overall thoughts? Vano Van Erp still kind of gets you on the edge of your seat too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, really good racing. Uh, and uh, You know, it's nice to see these riders riding tough tracks like that because I think riding tough tracks like that at, at, at such an early age is, is what makes them so good in the future. But uh, nice to see Ivano Van Erp uh, you know, he was one of the title favourites coming in with, with Kaz Volk, but, you know, uh, he's been crashing quite a lot, especially at Um He had the pace to win there, and but it was nice to see him get back to winning ways because he is a talent. And actually, I feel like this weekend, he does keep you at the edge of his seat, but I think he had things under control this weekend. And yeah. uh, it was nice to see him win the overall. And um, Kaz Volk has things under control in, in regards to the championship. So... It's looking like he's going to be hard to stop if he can stay injury-free and 
they're two another two big talents from the Netherlands to, to watch out for. And then you've got the two Resolus's brothers. What a team Latvia could have in the future at the motocross. The Jonas Jonas must be loving life right now. He's going to have a <laughs> great motocross of nations for the next few years of his career. Exactly. We're always exactly. going with a class of nations here. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> I think we might have just then, got over, got over excited. And WMX possibly ride of the whole weekend. Daniela Guillo and that Sakamoto. What did she have for breakfast? Unbelievable. Yeah, where did she come from? Just bam. Yeah, we'll just yeah. go win this. Yeah, no problem at all. Easy peasy. <laughs> and Courtney Duncan back, back as well. So full field of the, the WMX girls and always always maybe underrated racing in that class too yeah especially the last couple of years the last couple of years has been really mm-hmm. good now that we're the, the, some of the younger mm-hmm. girls have got a bit more experience like Falk and Van der Vlist and, and now it looks like Willon's the latest prodigy along with Martine Hughes so it's, it's actually looking pretty good for the future right I think that's us at the end of this review pod and I have to say I love this part of the season you have mxgp during the day mn nationals on the saturday night and then more mxgp on sunday certainly couldn't get any better and we'll have it all to look forward to again this weekend in france and hangtown i think the ma is so another new track for crowley and gilbert will be interesting and actually we should have mentioned dylan walsh and josiah natsky who's back in new zealand but a former racer in the world and british championship both of those boys getting points too in the 250 class, so good job on them and and more storylines to keep an eye on, certainly at Hangtown on Saturday. But for now, Andy, thank you, and we'll, we'll reconvene next week. Ciao for now.